0: Welcome to Teeth and Titanium, a podcast about oral surgery, residency, and life. We would like to thank the Canadian Association of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery for their continued support. All
1: opinions expressed in this podcast by the hosts and their guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of the CAOMS. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for surgical decision-making.
0: Welcome, everybody, to Teeth and Titanium, episode 26. This is our October edition. Oscar, how's it going?
2: Good. Happy Thanksgiving to all
0: the Canadians. That is true, yes. Thanksgiving has passed. Our American listeners will have it next month, which never made sense to me. It was
2: that you're almost like confused because you, or were you like American? You're like, it's not Thanksgiving. And you're like, oh, it is. I'm back in Canada, so it is Thanksgiving.
0: Yeah, and I just remember last year, you know, Thanksgiving is such a big deal in the States. And well, I guess it wasn't last year, it was two years ago. Well, it feels like last year, but two years ago. And it's just too close to Christmas. It is too close. But I will say what I really like about
2: it is the football on their Thanksgiving. Yes. That's what I do like
0: about it. But it is, it's too close. Like you're a month It's out. just too close. I love the fact that we have this October Thanksgiving. And it's tough knowing that we don't have any long weekends between now and Christmas. There's no holidays, there's nothing. So, you know, it's going to be like- That's true, grinding actually. it out. But I just found it was too close.
2: I still think October, and you know what, for us, it's cold
0: in November. So it's nice to have, like, it's almost like the last fun thing of the, of the year definitely definitely so happy thanksgiving to everyone so you know oscar i feel like we have a lot to get to this episode i don't want to waste too much of natasha's time with banter so i'm thinking we just go straight into current events what do you think
2: i would say i I would have agreed with you let's just go to current events but not for
0: natasha's sake because now i'm just going to want to banter even more (laughs) out of spite (laughs) yeah out of spite for sure (laughs) all right well natasha this episode's for you without further ado let's jump into current events One of the things that was delayed because of COVID, obviously, was a lot of the stuff when it came to licensing and RCDC examination and the NDEB examination. You know, hats off to the RCDC. We finally had an in-person convocation. Oh, nice! And they didn't. You know, everyone else just pretends that you know COVID. Oh, everything was delayed, and you just kind of suffer, and you'll move on, and you'll never, you know, you'll never. Like they just get it. just forget it, you'll get over it. I'm still bitter. Six years at McGill, never had a graduation dinner yeah, because they, it was COVID. You got a
2: pat on the back. Let's, okay,
0: move on. Yeah. So still bitter that I never had a celebration. But the RCDC did something nice. What they did is when they had their convocation this year, they invited everyone that was from the COVID year and the year after to come. So they backdated it. They backed it, and not just backed it, like you were an official part of the ceremony. Like you got your gown, you walked up, you got all your stuff. Like it was a legitimate thing. And it was. It ended up actually working their favor too because everyone that was there told me the attendance was amazing. It was like three times the amount they're used to. So it made it way more of a festive event. There were way more people. There were way more RCDC fellows. So it was a really, really nice event. And I'm really, really glad I went. That sounds like that was nicely done. Yeah, it, it was well organized. And- What's also nice is, I guess it's a lot of free things for new fellows. So there's a continuing education day that's free and you get free seats. So a lot of people go to that. Then the next day, there's the ceremony and then there's a cocktail hour and hors d'oeuvres. Mm-hmm. And then there's a dinner and everything was included for Where the was fellows. It this year? So it was at the King Edward Hotel downtown. Nice. So a nice. Yeah, oh, nice. it was a nice venue. Yeah. It was a really, really nice venue. Shout out for RCDC. RCDC. Yeah. yeah. No, it was really good. And another thing that was kind of nice is, Lee McFadden, obviously oral surgeon, former guest of the podcast, he received his award. Now he received, he won this award a few years ago, but once again, couldn't, couldn't get it in person. So they invited him to receive it in person and it was the, the DS Precious award. And also, this is a baller award. And this is the reason the award was created in 2015. Okay. And it, you know, obviously has certain criteria and you have to be nominated and elected for this award. But it's not an annual award. Like someone has to fit the bill. Yeah. Like this wow. award exists. It's there. But it's not always handed out. It's not always handed out. So if one year no one deserves it, you just you don't, don't give it. it out, which is which is amazing because yeah. sometimes the annual awards, you're thinking like, oh, we gotta find something yeah, yeah, yeah. who, who are we gonna choose. Or if it's a limited group, you kind of just go through a procession of picking, you know, one person at a time. Yeah.
2: That is impressive. I am very impressed with that.
0: And what's even cooler is it was created in 2015. This is what I remember from the event. It was created in 2015, and he was the first person to ever win it, and it was in 2019, I believe. Wow. So it took four years to find someone. for someone to win it. No one's won it since, too. So it's kind of like, who's going to be the next one? And it could take, you know, a while. Like, it's a baller award. So I love this. I love this. Because I was just out for,
2: for dinner with some friends, and we were talking about how now they give participation medals to everybody. No, oh, t- it's too much. It's too much. And this is the it's opposite of a participation medal. This is, you yeah, yeah. earned it. And nobody else gets it if they didn't earn it.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. So shout out to Lee McFadden for being the first person to win this award. Now, I did, the first thing that came to mind, I won't lie to you, Oscar, was he was also the first guest ever on Teeth and Tidegames. He's got a so, sick
2: resume right now.
0: He has a <laughs> sick resume, but if you were to put yourself into his shoes, what do you think he values more, being the first guest ever on our, you know, lovely podcast or being the first person to receive this prestigious award, what do you think he values higher? So first and only person to receive that award.
2: Yeah, okay, stop trying to hype up this award more. (laughs) I'm trying to to give our podcast a shot here. I love our podcast, you know I commit to it, like we do a lot of work for it, but it is a no-brainer. He for sure values the
0: award more. (laughs) Definitely, no, it was awesome that he won that. So congratulations to him and we'll see, we'll track this. this is something we're gonna track now. Because I love the fact that it's not annual. I'm interested. Who's the next Lee McFadden? Cool. Another thing that's happened recently is, you know, I I know I don't want you to get bored of me talking about CT Read and MRE and things like that. But two funny things happened recently that I thought were really worth mentioning to you. So one thing is I have long told you that, you know, AO kind of took over CTRE. They acquired it for their learning platform. And we were working to kind of release CTRE 2.0. So it's the same course. Same fundamentals, but it's on their learning platform. So a lot of the things are automatic now. For example, you don't need to download CT scans. You can look at all the CT scans on their website. Like it's just much smoother, much better experience. Yeah. So this took probably a year and a half to just merge it over from the old platform to the new one. And we were waiting to launch it and things like that. So it finally launched. And the first thing is uh, I got to say thank you to all the people that reached out to me. You know, people were sending me screenshots of the launch. People were texting me congratulations. Like it was really, really nice to see that because I hadn't I hadn't posted this anywhere. This was just organic people looking at the AO newsletter or the website. But one of the wild things that happened was over I think it was four years after CT Read was released, we managed to have 3,800 people sign up for the site and register for the site and, and and do the course. And that took like you know years. And you know, Dr. Jean-Vivien Chasson, who was my supervisor, Dr. Daniel Richmond, who helped create everything. Like this took forever, right? And you're building up and you're like, wow, we have this large number. And then when AO came around, you got to think, okay, this is a global platform. This can increase things for us. They emailed me within three days, three days of them sending out this blast, 705 people signed yeah. up for the course. I, oh no, honestly, I'm not even surprised. I'm not even surprised. Like
2: it's crazy. It's a different what? level, right? It's just a
0: different level of exposure. It's a totally different level of exposure, but it's kind of nice to have gone through the organic upbringing first to realize how hard it is to get anyone to sign up and complete a course. And then see it blow up. Yeah. And then see it blow up. So it's been really cool. I'm liking the fact that now it'll be more global. We already got an email from someone that wants to do a Spanish translation. I'm down. No, we already got an email from someone else. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I'm down for them to do it. I'm not volunteering. Let's be clear. I was like, like, you signing up for this voluntary work to be part of the project?
2: I'm fluent in Spanish, but I'm just down for it to be in Spanish. I'm not down to do anything with it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I think if you were to, you know, pick some key languages and and have translators, that'd be really, really cool. And that's something to work on. But that was awesome. So yeah, just really happy. If you haven't done CTR yet and you were debating doing it or you just started it, I would highly recommend going to the AO version because it is much better. In fact, we're going to like slowly, you know, phase out and and activate the old version because we don't. Exactly. Yeah, we don't want people to do the old one really. So, just wanted to to say thank you for everyone reaching out about that and just super super cool stuff. And we'll see what happens.
2: I don't think that's a shame of plug. I think you haven't talked about it in a while, and that's a pretty big
0: milestone. So, I think that's awesome. Yeah, it was more just the number that shocked me. Like when they told me, they saw my face drop, and I was like, "This is this is this is sweet." But and
2: it's funny because I'm not even surprised
0: for a second. Yeah, because you know, AO is a big global platform, but you have to realize how many people there are in the world and then it just becomes insane. All right, that's it for current events. Why don't we jump into our fan mail? So we love receiving mail from fans. And I got to say that the quality of the mail is ramping up, the the locations of the mail is ramping up. It's been a good month, yeah. I don't know if this is because now we said, you know, when you mail in, you're going to be talking to Brad and not us, like. Maybe Brad's more approachable. Is Brad more approachable? Brad, why don't you jump in here? Yeah, you know, you're you're managing the mailbox. You you've been kind of working on that. Have you found that, you know, there's been an uptick in mail or people are being more polite and professional or what do you think? Uh, it's tough
3: to tell cuz I don't have access to the previous emails, but I do find <laughs> <laughs> I do find our calls and and begging for responses probably is helping that people know that if they talk to us, I'm going to read them and I'm going to get you on air hopefully. That's true.
2: Yeah, yeah that's probably it. But I will say The detail of the
0: emails and the texts are are much better. I'm enjoying them quite a bit. I really like them. So I'll, I'll get around to the first one. Oscar, I'll give you the second one. So first one goes, hey guys, I finally got around to listening to a couple of your episodes. I thought they were awesome. Some great guests and topics, and I had some pretty good laughs too. It reminded me a lot of residency and fellowship, just goofing off with buddies and talking surgery. I'm a community oral surgeon, so it was neat to get back into that headspace again. Keep up the good work, fellas. You've got one more regular listener, Scotty, and this is Dr. Scott Martina, and he's in the West Coast. That's great. So you know you know me, Oscar, you know, I love to break down these emails. I just find it really fun. So at first when I read it, I won't lie, he said, listen to like, I got around to listening a couple of your episodes, I said, okay, well. See, you always harp on that. Like I know, and maybe I'm just too much of a stickler, but yeah. it basically comes down to one fundamental difference between you and I. You like people that, hey, they listen to us and yeah. they enjoy the episode, and you're like, that's great, that's awesome. You need them to be hardcore, it sounds like. Not hardcore, but I do find that <laughs> they need to if they have listen a TN- to an episode- <laughs> They need to have
2: a t- TNT t- 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 tattoo. If not, you're like, I don't <laughs> want to talk to you. <laughs> it
0: just, just fundamentally, I believe that if they listen to one or two episodes and then stop, I just feel like that—that that is like them saying, I enjoyed it, but obviously not enough. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to listen to you anymore. <laughs> but the
2: email isn't saying, I'm done. It's just, they've listened to a couple and then we are not going to stop doing them so they'll continue to probably listen
3: <laughs> you're ruthless and wendell i would say that then they took time to actually write us so that's a good yeah. thing yeah you're right yeah, yeah you're yeah. right two episodes exactly. and they're exactly. like i'm writing an email i mean that's great yeah, yeah. you're yeah. right you know yeah. what yeah, that's a
0: that's a good point i like that that's a really good point they'll listen to the two and they already wrote okay you know what that's that's a solid argument i'm, I'm gonna listen to both of you guys and be stopping such a stickler for that that one particular point yeah so he liked the guests and topics i, I like that he had laughs and He brought up something kind of cool, which I had never thought about. I'm not sure about you, Oscar, but he said it reminded him a lot of residency and fellowship and just goofing off with buddies. And it is something I've said many times where I love the fact that this is a guaranteed way for you and I to hang out and chat and catch up on our lives and just joke. And people always talk about our chemistry or how we do this live or how there's no script. And the truth is, is because like, we're just, as Scott said, we're just buddies catching up on life and, and talking surgery and funny things. So I hadn't thought about it, but I guess if you're a community surgeon by yourself or maybe it can be lonely, like you don't have that group. Yeah, maybe it can be lonely. This is kind of your way of connecting. So I thought that was really cool.
2: And when he did when I read that, where he said it puts you back in that headspace again, I'm like, it is true because even for us. Right. I work in a group practice. You're part of the faculty. But when you leave residency, there are things that you miss. Right. Like There are things you don't miss, sometimes the long hours and all these. But there are things you miss. You miss the camaraderie. And for us every month, this is a chance for us to do it. So it's nice that they get that same feeling as a listener. Definitely,
3: as a solo practitioner in a small town, I'm by myself, so I have my staff yeah. to talk about oral surgery with a couple of dentists. But listening <laughs> yeah. to the podcast and then being able to be your guys' producer has given that back to me as well, and I can totally see where Scott's coming from. So,
2: no, that makes sense. And a lot of part of like a fun part of residency was when you were just hanging out with the other residents, right? And you're just you're just both like, oh, what a long day, but you had fun. So. That's nice to hear that that he kind of feels that way. And it's also nice that Brad backs that up saying that, yeah, as a solo practitioner in a smaller town, you kind of can feel maybe a little bit isolated or on an island.
0: Yeah. And one time I feel that feeling as well a lot, kind of reminding residency is being a staff now and taking call and having residents under me for, you know, clinic ORs, things like that. Luckily, there's a broad scope of oral history that you become comfortable with after residency and fellowship and working. But there's always the rare things or the things you're doing for the first time as a staff, yeah. as a resident. And I'm really, really conscious about trying not to pretend which is with good. the residents that, like, I've done this a million times and I know how to do this. Like, for the stuff I know, I tell them, I know, and this is the way we're going to do it. But for stuff I don't know, or maybe I know, but I've not done it as a staff or guided someone through it, I kind of purposely tell them that. But it does create this atmosphere of... Well, that went well, or that was fun, or like you know, <laughs> well, okay, that, that worked pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that went okay. So <laughs> let's roll the dice next time. It's like, yeah, I do think it's a nice feeling and it's a nice camaraderie. So I'm glad that Scott gets that from kind of our bond. And it's funny because we've actually talked about him indirectly. I'm not sure if we we said it by name, but on a previous episode, we talked about Alero, who's from Dal, who was the previous AMS president, and she did a webinar for new grads and them giving advice to current residents. And I was one of the speakers talking about fellowship, but Scott was one of the people talking about building a practice from scratch. Oh, that's awesome. And you know me, I was listening to his lectures. I love learning from other people. And his, his presentation was phenomenal. And he gave like real world examples of the struggles you go through. Like He was really, really good and, and a really good presenter. So it's it's funny how full circle now it comes around. And we talked about him a long time ago, but now he's a listener. So I don't know if he was in those couple of episodes he listened to, but now he's a regular listener. So yeah. he might shout catch up to for that episode that he was in. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, shout out to him. And
0: I think he's out in Kelowna. So he's probably living, loving life out there anyway. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. West Coast. Yeah. You know how uh, you can tell someone is from the West Coast? they'll tell you they're from the West Coast. Yeah, because they know like The it. first minute of speaking yeah, to yeah. them.
2: Yeah, like I'm from the West Coast. I'm like, I didn't even ask you your name yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I don't blame them because I had not traveled to Canada until the pandemic hit and then we were only allowed to travel to Canada and I went out to the West Coast. You um, only went west, you went I, west so many I, times. And I'm like,
0: wow, like this is a beautiful area of the country. Yeah. Icom's Vancouver next year. Yeah, yeah. CMS meeting Vancouver, we'll see.
3: Now, Wendell, as a Western Canadian original when I first moved to Canada, I do want to let you know that West coasters have a certain feeling towards people from Ontario in a way too, that there used to be a Coors Light bulletin board that said colder than the people in Toronto <laughs> yeah. in Vancouver. So
0: I was going to say, I'm sure it's not positive. Yeah,
2: there's no way it can be positive. No, no. And again, I shout out to the West Coast. We love the West Coast. Yeah. Also, oh, you want to tackle this second email? Yeah. The second one is honestly shout out, but it's a long one too. Thanks for making me read this one. <laughs> So, hi guys, I'm an Australian OMFS and I fortuitously stumbled across your podcast. I wanted to let you know how good it is and how much I enjoyed the episodes I listened to. So he said episodes here. You're going to get mad at him too? You better not get mad no, at him.
0: No, it's a new me. Okay, okay. No, it's fine. a new me now. I'm, I'm trying to approach this from what you guys said, which is listen. Okay, He right. stumbled across our podcast and listened to multiple episodes. Okay. I'm liking it already. Okay. It was nice to hear you speak of people like
2: Mark Engelsted who I've taught with a few times and Clayton Davis, who I've had the privilege of attending courses he has run. The episode with Michelle was excellent and your synopsis of the need to do medicine was spot on. I would add to the reasons you gave, the political aspect. I was in the first group of Australian trainees that had to do medicine in 1995 in order to sit the fellowship exam and thus be registered as a specialist. During that time there was a war with plastic surgery over trauma and oncology. As soon as we had well-trained medical graduates the associated medi specialists saw as another medical specialist and fell behind us. Prior to that the PRS organisations would revert to they're just dentists to block access to the theaters, et cetera. Interestingly, the, the federal government, which is responsible for medical and dental registration, classifies OMFS as one of the one of eight recognized medical surgical specialties rather than a des- dental specialty. Keep up the good work, and I'll be sure to let my registers, your resident equivalent, know about the podcast. Cheers, Peter. Associate Professor Peter Aquilina. Lots of titles. Head of maxillofacial surgery at the Nepean Hospital. Deputy Director of Surgical Research the University of Sydney Faculty of
0: Medicine. So that's an awesome shout out for him. Yeah, for sure. So, first of all, digesting this email, he's from Australia. Yeah, amazing. That's the real West Coast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to say that's the real West Coast. And that's global. I mean, we're going global now, which is awesome. I, I'm curious how we stumbled across it. That's pretty cool. I, yeah. I'd love to know how we fortuitously well, maybe stumbled he'll across up it. On that. Yeah, maybe he'll let us know exactly because it is kind of cool for someone in Australia. To listen to this i'm glad he enjoyed the episodes and he knows a lot of the people that we're talking yeah. about and talking to which is really really cool it's a small community even worldwide when you
2: really think about it
0: yeah he liked michelle Lakim's episode which which definitely got positive feedback it's also pretty wild that he kind of had to undergo this war with plastics mm-hmm. and they pretty much had to become a medical specialty to get recognized to get recognized and that pretty much ended the they're just a dentist Kind of argument, argument which yep. which we still get all the time for sure in Canada. It's also pretty insane that oral surgery is an eight, one of the eight recognized medical, medical specialty, rather than the dental specialty. That's pretty impressive. And I also just love his like Australianness, like uh, Registers. the theaters, <laughs> Registers. yeah, registrars, yeah, yeah, yeah. registrars in the, in the theaters, operating theaters instead of O.R. That's it just sounds cool. cooler. I'm like, yeah, it, oh, it Sounds way cooler. Like, oh, we have to take
2: you to the theater. You know, like, yeah, I'm like, oh, it's wow. wow, that's important. That's important. I don't even know what you're doing, but it's gonna be important for sure. What do you do? I'm a registrar. Wow. Yeah. Like, a, is that an award? Like wow. like I wish I'm only a resident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do find their equipment. Like cool, so. We need to plan a trip to Sydney. Well, I actually have been to Australia. I know you before. have. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Have you been? No, but I
0: haven't been. So I can like like put it on my list of places that I need to go. Australia is awesome. Yeah. A really, really, really cool place. And very nice people and very similar to canadians that's I what find, i heard like everyone vibe. says that
2: it's a, it's like a yeah. canada with nicer landscape and beaches yeah and cool and way cooler animals yeah but also scarier at the same time
0: yeah i think that's like, like the most i don't like
2: things that can kill me by biting me
0: yeah i feel like the most <laughs> most deadly animals yeah, like are all, all in, eight australia. Of them are
2: in australia like I don't, we don't <laughs> have any of them like we have a, a beaver like what are we gonna get killed
0: with <laughs> definitely so shout out to peter thanks for the fan mail that's really really cool coming from australia so we're glad we have another loyal listener and he's going to spread it. You know, Oscar, that's one cool thing is he's spreading it. Yeah. So he's got a huge, huge. Even voice. if he only listens to two episodes, he's matter. spreading it. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> two exponential, growth. Exponential, right <laughs> yeah, exponential growth. Exponential. Exponential growth. That's what we want. One thing I wanted to uh, talk to you about, Oscar, before we jump into our guest segment, I realized is we had put a call out last episode. When we read Miller Smith's email, we said, you know, little Nicky. He talked about this guy, little Nicky. And we we're like, is that Nick McCool? Like former guest of the podcast. And because I told you, I'd never heard him called that before. So I just put it out there in the universe saying, Is that Lil Nikki? And you said a resident should act on that, call him that, and like let us know how they do it. Well, Nasser, <laughs> good old Nasser Al Shirani from McGill, current chief resident, reaches out and basically he made like a mixtape cover, <laughs> like a rap album cover <laughs> called Lil Nikki with McCool's like mugshot on it. And on the back for, like title tracks, yeah. every name of a song was like an inside joke from McGill, like something that McCool always says, or something That's that he rips amazing. on the for. And he presented to him. So, first of all, it confirms that okay, Little Nicky is. Did he
2: confirm that that is Little
0: Nicky? Yeah, so Little Nicky is <laughs> Nick McCool, which is probably the funniest nickname ever. Like, I cannot believe it. And then Nasser acted on it. So our podcast continues to influence young and impressionable minds. Shout out to him. Shout out to him. And who knows what we can get him to do next time. (laughs) So that was pretty awesome. Next up, we have our guest interview, Oscar. And this is something really unique and really cool. As you know, we try and educate our listeners on a broad variety of topics when it comes to oral surgery. But in the spirit of balance, and something our listeners have said as well, is every now and then we want to broaden our scope and educate ourselves on other topics. So the, the first time we did that was with Ben Felix. We talked about investing and, you know, what to look out for, what to avoid. And that two part series still is one of our most popular episodes by far. And people talk about it all the time. Your buddy Omar, who emailed in in a previous episode, had said he listened to it and he was trying to make some personal changes. So we know it has an impact. So what we want to do this time was talk about financial planning. And that's kind of the theme of this episode, because as professionals, we do a lot of school, we do a lot of training in the sciences, but we don't learn a lot about finances or financial planning. Exactly. Now, we don't want to talk We don't want to repeat. We're not talking about investments. We're not talking about stocks, bonds, all that kind of stuff. We're talking about a financial plan. And the funny thing is most people listening will think, oh, that means your investment portfolio. It doesn't. It's not just that. Yeah. No, it's just a very small part. So for this, we found a very special guest. Her name is Lindsay Plum. She's from Moolah Financial. And the first thing I'll say is neither you or I knew about Moolah Financial. We don't use them. This is not like a sponsored part. It's just we heard her on another podcast. We kind of looked her up. We we. We chatted with her and she's obviously extremely knowledgeable and very friendly and she's Canadian, which we love. She's on the West Coast. And we invited her as a guest to talk about different financial planning topics that we really feel will benefit our listeners of all ages and all demographics, whether at the to start or at the end of it.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's the best part. It really is for residents that are just graduating and people who have been doing this
0: and are ready to retire on the other end. Yeah, absolutely. So Without further ado, let's get into our guest segment. This is Financial Planning with Lindsay Plum. All right, we'd like to welcome in our guests. Now, this is Lindsay Plum from Moolah Financial. Lindsay, how's it going?
1: Great. How are you guys?
0: Good. We're, we're really excited to have you on board. We're really, really excited. We've been doing this for three years now, and obviously, the majority of our episodes are about oral surgery, educational content things like that, boring stuff. But every now and then we like to spice it up and add something about real life. So previously money. we had an episode. Yeah, <laughs> that's real right. life.
4: That's so real so far, I guess. yeah,
0: I will say so far real life has only been money. We would yeah. like in the future, maybe something about work-life balance or I don't know, family or something like that. That's another
2: day.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. But for now it's all about money. We had a previous episode with Ben Felix, which is pretty much one of our most popular episodes. Yeah, ever. I love about investments, basics of investments, things like that. But yeah, no, he he introduced us to you. And we listened to your episode on his podcast. and We really enjoyed it. So for our listeners that maybe don't know you as well, can you tell us about yourself and your journey and what you do now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm out in Victoria, BC, as I like to say. It's Canada's Hawaii out here. Nice. Uh, <laughs> gorgeous place to be, especially this time of year. And and so I am an accredited financial counselor, and I used to be a licensed financial advisor. And I own the company Moolah Financial Coaches and Advisors with my husband so that's been a very interesting journey. I started out with a license that allowed me to sell investments and insurance and really loved that piece. But what I didn't love so much about it was the day-to-day. I wanted to talk about day-to-day money as well as long-term big picture stuff. And there wasn't really anybody out there talking about day to day, all sorts of, you know, well-educated and awesome people out there talking about the big stuff like investing and insurance, but not so many people talking about the practical and, and the day to day. So I made a, a little bit of a shift in that I still stay really, really involved at a, you know, company level at at Moolah and uh, we do financial planning and uh, retirement planning for, for everyday everyday Canadians.
2: That's really interesting. And when, when you say you made that shift, when did you actually make that shift?
1: I think it was in about, I'm going to say 2017, maybe 2016, but about 2017 is, is yeah, when I, when I made that shift. And, and so in that shift, I, I created a, a course for women called the Pretty Money Club and started a Facebook group called Black is the New Red. A conversation about money for Canadians. So it's coming up on 10,000 members. It's a very lots of really fun conversations happen in there. Everything from like real high level stuff down to, you know, how much is everyone paying for their cell phone bill? Am I getting ripped
0: off? (laughs) Everything in between. That's great. (sighs) Mm -hmm. But it's funny you mentioned that because even before you said it, I think Oscar and I, when we talk about stuff, we only ever talk about big picture stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where do we want to work? What do you want to do in five years? What do you Maybe you know, investments, long term, yeah, mortgage, house, like long term, family stuff like that. We don't talk about the day to day. I don't and even I think I guess, about it.
2: Like I don't even I think don't about even the think
0: about it that much because, and I'm sure this is your experience. Is everyone thinks, okay, big picture, long term, that has a big impact. Day to day, small numbers, small things, probably doesn't have a big impact. But I'm sure we're going to find out today that maybe the day-to-day matters a lot more than we think. For yeah, sure. Absolutely. It's going
2: to get you to the big picture, right? Like if you miss out on your day-to-day, and you drop the ball there. So I think that's a huge niche. That's pretty impressive. Yeah,
1: And um, I would assume that dental health if you're not flossing and brushing somebody might end up in your chair <laughs> yeah, the
2: day like the day
1: to day yeah. Like yeah. Day-to-day so makes a big difference with tell the them hair.
0: not to floss or brush we need yeah, 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 we want them to, come to us. yeah exactly We want them to come see us <laughs> um, flossing is a myth yeah exactly.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: terrible for you <laughs> you get purple tunnel you don't want to do it. speaking of like you were listed all these titles and it was very impressive mm-hmm. but what are the different type of financial planners Yeah, such a good question. So
1: the gold standard is CFP, Certified Financial Planner and that is somebody who's you know taken taken all the tests that has the the full spectrum there's also some other you know more more specialized designation but the CFP is is really is really that gold level that gold standard in Canada and somebody who has their CFP can talk to you about the entire financial plan including you know tax planning estate planning your insurance your cash flow planning all of that type of stuff now not everybody in Canada is a CFP. And it's not to say if you're not a CFP, that you're not great. You can still work with those people. The biggest thing that I find people care about is what is your motivation in talking to me? You know, when I, what is the professional's motivation? Are they a salesperson that has a financial product to sell? That's probably a licensed financial advisor, which isn't really even a that's not a designation. It is this just literally you have a license.
4: This is what and they do.
1: The name on your, your, you know, your name tag says financial advisor. It's not a designation. And so in Canada and And the U.S. as well. Over the last decade, they've really been trying to standardize that. There's a lot of commissions that go around in the financial industry. And not everybody is a great guy. And so they're trying to find ways to weed out the not so great guys who are just, and I say guys, I mean, there's lots of women in the industry too. So many times you'll be at a bank or, you know, any of the many institutions out there, and it won't be a financial planner. It'll be a financial advisor. And how they are paid is sometimes more important than their title. Are they paid on commission or are they paid with fees?
2: Can you ask the person that question? How are you paid?
1: Absolutely yeah and i would recommend that everybody ask that absolutely when i go to my accountant i know what they are being paid when i go to my mechanic i know what they're being paid there's no reason for any non transparency yeah, so yeah asking how are you paid and i'm a strong believer that commission isn't a bad thing It can be used very poorly, (laughs) and so finding somebody who has a fee structure that makes sense for you, if they are solely paid on commission, well, then you know that they have to sell things in order to pay their bills. And so sometimes we're looking for a fee-only advisor, and that means that they are not paid in any other ways other than the fees that you cut the check for. And in that case, they're not going to sell you anything. They're just talking to you about your plan. They're more of a consultant than sometimes than than what you would expect. I
0: think I think that's probably one of the most important things that people need to learn. And we really tried to stress that as well on our previous episode with Ben when we talked about investments and mutual funds and how, you know, they're making a commission based on selling in a mutual fund or an ongoing fee that they're getting. Whereas they may not have a motivation to sell you an index fund. Why? Because they don't make a commission off that. There's no rolling commission. Um, there's no standard fee for them. So I think that's a, a huge thing to ask. It, it is funny that you mentioned it because although it sounds a little bit strange to ask someone, you know, how are you making money or how are you paid? It's actually kind of a common sense question because for example, when people see us, they know how we're making money because we're charging fee for service. So if someone is a fee-only financial planner, they know they're paying you a fee and there's no other motivation because no matter what you decide, you just pay them the hourly rate or flat fee or whatever it was. Whereas at the bank, you you don't know. If they're just an hourly salaried person, then you're like, okay, well, they're just telling me what they think or what they do. But if they have a choice between one thing and another thing, and one thing they make 3% off it's a of. It's huge. It's human yeah. human motivation. Like, what are they supposed to do? You know, they're trying to make a living. So I think that's a really good question to ask. It also comes down to kind of, do they have their your best interests at heart or what are their motivations, kind of what you said. So can you tell us a little bit about kind of a fiduciary responsibility or if there's a difference between fiduciaries or financial planners, like how does that come into this? Because as healthcare professionals, like one of the codes we're taught is we have fiduciary responsibility towards our patients. So can you explain how that kind of works in your world and in the financial world in Canada?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Typically, when I hear, you know, conversations about fiduciaries, I generally assume that I'm talking to an American or somebody who's read an American website or blog, because in the States, they have capital F fiduciaries. And I will preface this with, there could have been changes in the last year or two in Canada that I am unaware of. This isn't a, this isn't something that I have recently researched from a regulation perspective, but typically I I I automatically think that that we're talking about Americans. Of course, anybody with a license, doesn't matter what interest industry you're in, you would generally have a fiduciary responsibility that is tied to whatever you are licensed. For If it's a product or a service or a, you know, a sale of of some sort. So that is definitely no different in the financial services industry. Every province that offers licenses for insurance, for investments, for securities, these different things, they all have a fiduciary responsibility. If you were a CFP, part of having that designation, there is a fiduciary responsibility to have your client's best interest at heart at all times. Like I I was saying before, I really feel like if we can, if we can see how somebody is being paid, we can, you can track their intentions. So generally speaking in Canada, I think if you're, if you're licensed, if you're working for a company, if you're, you know, if you're contracted with different companies, there is that fiduciary responsibility. And, and it's, it's just great to know how they're, how they're paid. I, I feel so strongly about just knowing how they're
2: paid what would you advise to someone who is and what would they look for when they're choosing a financial planner?
1: Yeah, this is such a good a good question because I talk to people all the time who have the wrong financial planner. And I don't mean that there's anything wrong with their financial planner, <laughs> but the match is wrong. So sometimes, you know, they're using their, their uncle's financial planner because their uncle said he was great. Well, how great is he? Or did, were they just golf buddies? Maybe he is great. I don't know. But I think that finding somebody that is a good match for you is really important. And some of the less quantitative measures on this is, you know, do you like this person? Do they answer your questions in a way that you understand? Do they give you as much or as little information? You know, do they hold your hand or not? And as much as you want them to? So, And you would find those things by, you know, asking other people like you, who do you work with? And then doing the research on how are they licensed? What are their regulations? How are they paid? And doing an interview. And, you know, there's some websites that give you, you know, 25 questions to ask your financial planner. That's one great way of doing it. And another great way is, you know, just having a conversation with them. Somebody who's in your time zone. Yeah. And if not in your time zone, like maybe kind of close to your time zone. If you are somebody who needs to meet with your financial planner on the weekend, finding somebody who can meet on the weekends. If you are somebody who, you know, is tech savvy, finding somebody who does Zoom meetings and has an app would be better than, you know, somebody who's still paper based on everything. We have found that people, people save and invest more money when it's easy. And so technology can be really important for that. And uh, yeah, but I I sometimes think that the less quantitative measures are, are more important. You can work with somebody fantastic, but if you don't really like hanging out with them, and if they confuse you more than before you asked your question, you might not ask your questions.
0: Yeah, if you don't feel comfortable.
1: Yeah, yeah. Someone you can ask the dumb questions to.
0: Yeah, for sure. And you, don't, you, you
4: don't
2: feel. I was saying, those are you, the only questions we have. So. Well, that's, I mean,
1: you took the words out of my mouth. You think that all your questions yeah. are dumb, so yeah. you need somebody that you can ask your dumb questions to. <laughs> I'm not actually saying they're dumb, but you think they are.
0: <laughs> so, who do you tend to work with? Do you work with a lot of medical and dental professionals?
1: So we don't work with a lot of them. We have a very wide spectrum of, of Canadians that we work with in all different, all different professions. We've got, you know, teachers and lawyers and doctors and dentists, you know, kind of, kind of full, the full gamut. Our specific niche is everyday Canadians because that's a niche that not very many people in our industry are all that interested. yeah. In. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but definitely full spectrum for
2: sure. And so with the the dentists or physicians that you do work with, how do they compare to other professionals and what makes them or what makes us unique?
1: Yeah, I found that most skilled professions, they are intelligent and they know that they could understand all of this other topic, but they don't often. And they often want to because they know that This is no more difficult than what I do every day, or the school that I had to to you know finish in order to be where I am. And so they want to do it on their own. Or they want to be involved or, you know, have a have a good general level of an understanding. And so those people tend to often gravitate towards a fee-only planner. Somebody who will put a plan together and not sell them a darn thing. You can go and there's it's 2022. There are such good websites out there. Every, you know, every major bank that all of us use for our day to day banking, most of them have really great trading platforms nowadays. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to do it. You probably should have a plan to follow. Should it be an RSP, a TFSA? Should it be a personal pension plan? Should it be a spousal RSP? All these different things, because that makes a difference long-term. And that's the financial planner's job, is to show you how, you know, scenario one would look versus scenario two. If you want to invest in real estate, great, let's put that into a financial plan and have a look at that. So I find that skilled professionals, they are, they're, they want to understand and, you know, depending on Where they're at in their in their career, sometimes your bandwidth is is not there to have any interest in understanding one more thing. So that's a that's a real phase too. But yeah, I like I like field only advisors or field only planners. Excuse me for for those types of people, because, you know, there are really great websites and wonderful portfolio managers as well, like Ben Felix, who can put together a portfolio for you and having a financial plan that looks at the big picture, not just the investment piece is really helpful.
0: It makes a lot of sense. Like in in my personal life, I've never actually asked you, Oscar, so I'm not sure what your answer would be, but I have a, a financial planner and it was a similar model where You pay a fee for them to look at everything and make a financial plan. And then you can just take that and run with it and do it all yourself. Or you can then pay like a monthly rate for them to kind of remind you and track and help do things because the reality is we want to understand what's going on. Maybe we're curious about it, but we're just so busy. We don't have the time to keep up with it or we haven't had the training or we haven't learned about it. So for just to give you some background on us, Lindsay. So for me, I purchased an oral surgery practice last year. Prior to that, you know, I had done a lot of school, a lot of training. I'd done 14 years of school after high school, but done a lot of school, a lot of exams, a lot of courses, a lot of classes. And at no point did I ever learn about accounting taxes. I had to do a payroll for my employees never done that before you have to think about sick days how do sick days work how does vacation pay work all these different things that you're never taught in all this school yeah
1: you all of a sudden have to be an hr professional in addition to an oral surgeon
0: yeah so you know we heavily rely on other people's expertise i think what's nice for for oscar and i is because we're specialists i feel like specialists value specialists we value people that specialize in one thing because we know how much it's helped us so we want. Yeah, we want to find the expert. So that's kind of what I've relied on. Oscar is an associate. So he, he works as part of a group practice. He's more of a show up, make as much money as he can in as little time as possible and go home. <laughs> So Oscar, do you have Sounds a financial Sounds like a lovely planner? model,
1: doesn't yeah. it? <laughs>
0: I think
2: I think he's just showing how jealousy is right now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm kind, of yeah. Yeah, kind of jealous. Yeah. Yeah. you could yeah. hear the jealousy yeah, from the. the, the yeah. So I do, and actually, I have a question because we we were talking about commission and fees, and so when we talk about, I don't I don't think even when you go to the base level, I'm not sure if people even understand the difference of that. Like even with that in a sense, so like how do you? So if someone says we are going to charge you a 2% fee on all of the investments you have with us per year. And so it's a percentage, but that is the fee they're charging you, or they can charge you a commission on a product they sell you. So even that, I think, is people need to understand that there's a difference. Like, okay, you're being charged a percentage, but that is the fee they're charging you. That's not a commission they're making on that product themselves.
1: Yeah, so the biggest, the easiest way to, to understand the difference, the biggest differ- differentiating factor is who signs the check. Commission comes from somebody else, comes from the product creator, comes from the mutual fund company, comes from the insurance company, comes from whoever created the product. A fee is often, in my world, when we're talking about, you know, commission versus fee only, the fee comes from the client. It's either upfront or ongoing, but it comes from the client. It is transparent. It is agreed on. You see it right on your statement. It's not something in the background. It's not paid by somebody else that you're unsure. And so, yeah, that's the biggest, the easiest way to think about it. Commission is somebody else is paying a fee you are paying.
0: Yeah. And the fee model is something we're so familiar with because that's how we run our businesses. We're a fee for service structure. So it's something that we can easily adapt to and understand because Austin and I talk about this all the time, but we give patients an estimate for how much a procedure is going to cost. And you really have to try your best to stick to, slash it. to, stick to it and honor yeah. it because they've come into this procedure knowing I'm going to have to pay this. My insurance is going to cover this. And if you start violating that, you're kind of violating the trust that you built with the patient yeah. leading up to that surgery. Yeah, absolutely. And these are a lot like, of things that people don't kind of realize. So in general, as a society, you know, financial literacy, people understanding these concepts, people may be learning for the first time how financially illiterate are we as a society? And maybe if you can even narrow it down to dental and medical professionals, because, you know, the big running joke is always that, you know, doctors and dentists, they, they don't know anything about finances and they're super gullible and they don't know what they're doing. So is that your experience or kind of what, what have you seen? She said, your clients, yes, at least.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think, like I said before, I think all skilled professionals, especially, you know, those who end up you take on the, the, the trade that you are interested in. That like, are we you are worse than the lawyers? That's what we want to know. Are we
0: better or worse than the lawyers? <laughs> like that's what we want to know.
1: I would guess that you're worse. If yeah. I had
0: to put you
1: side by side, but if
0: I was a, betting. There's no, I would have for sure bet on the lawyers. I guess they're more shrewd. They look at contracts. Yeah, they, look at they the, read more. The yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, they read fine. all the all
1: the pages. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. where do
2: I sign this document? Yeah. Yeah. I can't even find the X. Yeah. Like, and can yes. you do it on
0: like DocuSigns? I don't really have to read. I yeah. can just right. hit finish or whatever.
4: <laughs> yeah,
1: isn't it funny? Our industry has really tried to protect the client. And they've done that by getting, you know, 47 signatures and three different initials on 12 different pages that Mm -hmm. you don't read anything. If we just could condense it to one or two pages, you might actually read it.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. I agree.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wendell, you asked me a question.
2: I forgot what it was. Oh, it was something. It was something about Thank you. She's like, That's how bad you guys are. I can't even remember the question. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I think self-employed people and you know skilled professionals are they're good at what they're good at, and it's hard to be good at everything. And unfortunately, even though we use every money every day. It's something that we can get through life, not really paying attention to sometimes or not paying attention to the right things or at the right time. And, and, you know, I love the, you know, the different websites and companies and podcasts and YouTube channels. There's, I suggest to my clients all the time, find someone you like to listen to. I mean, we've mentioned his name a bunch of times already. Ben Felix has a great YouTube channel that, you know, quick little nuts and bolts about money and investing and, you know, the the big spectrum. And he's not the only one out there. There's lots of them, you know, in every country. Yeah. Or, or websites that send you their weekly newsletter and just kind of drip feed you in, you know, small portions if you're not ready to, you know, take on a, another degree in personal finance. Just a little drip here, here and there can really make a difference because it's hard. How are you supposed to know?
2: And then many people think about financial planning as just as an investment planning. And in truth, there's so much more to this. Can you talk about little extra things that, that we don't think about sometimes?
1: Yeah, yeah. There are so many different, you know, tax strategies in financial planning. You know, things you can do with your mortgage and ways you can structure your debt and different investment products have different rules, tax rules. They're, you know, the, the growth will be taxed differently. I'm not a tax expert, so I couldn't go into any of it. But I do know that there's a lot of there's a lot of nuances out there. That is financial planning, is looking at the different options and mapping them out. What direction does this graph go if I take this route versus a different route? You know, one thing that that us in Canada love is real estate, and mm-hmm. there's not very many financial advisors that talk about real estate because mm-hmm. there's no product to sell.
4: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: How are that's they true. supposed to make money if you take your money out to buy to buy a house? <laughs> well, yeah, they're going to go <laughs> broke. So of course, for them, they're, all of their funds are far better than real estate, right? Yeah, no, <laughs> there's
4: no incentive. There's no incentive. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. So you know that is that's financial planning. Financial planning is also really assessing your liability and risk. What happens if you get hurt? What happens if you get sick? What happens if you die? You know, the statistics in Canada are pretty staggering that, you know, the chances of getting sick or getting hurt during your working years are far higher than you dying early. Everybody seems to have life insurance. They get it right after they have a baby or buy a house, but not everybody has good, proper, you know, for them, disability coverage or critical illness. Disability covers a monthly, it replaces your monthly income if you're unable to work because you're hurt or sick. Whereas critical illness gives you a one-time lump sum if you have an, a diagnosed illness that matches what's in your policy, you know, the, the heart disease and, and cancer and stroke kind of stuff. And so talking to somebody that knows that stuff, again, commission can play a part of that. If all of their income comes from insurance, you might end up buying more insurance. Then, then if, you need, yeah, yeah. Then if you're working with somebody who sells insurance and investments, or just does a plan to help you analyze your risk, or you can go on a bunch of great websites and you know do a your own analysis without any anybody else in your ear and and uh, you know ask somebody for a second opinion on it. There's lots of lots of different options. All of those things come into financial planning, and a big one for business owners, especially business owners in Canada who like real estate. I just assume that. Anybody who wants to procure a good amount of wealth in Canada yeah, is good. going to add real estate in yeah. there at some point. <laughs> the cash flow planning for your retirement, you don't want to do all of this work and then just give it to CRA in the end. That's not the goal. So, the cash flow and the, the tax strategy planning for the withdrawal phase is just as important as the accumulation phase.
2: It's- more important because if you can't take yes. out your money properly, why did you do with this all for? Yeah, absolutely. For sure. yeah.
1: Absolutely. And you know, people with, with that particular piece, you can have some really great conversations with a trusted accountant about that as well. The actual tax planning piece, they're not going to tell you what investment to buy, but, but the tax planning can, can certainly be done with their help for sure. So it all goes into financial planning. Definitely not just investments.
0: So we have a kind of a broad listener base. We have A lot of trainees or residents that are early on in their career, they're still training, they have, you know, debt, we'll kind of get into that later on. Then we have, you know, the new grads, but then we have this kind of, I would say it's a sweet spot where the people that have been working, I'd say seven to 15 years, you know, they're not new grads, they're not established or getting ready for retirement, but they're kind of in that phase where they're, they know what they're doing, they have a nice routine, maybe they have a younger family or younger kids. But now they're starting to look towards the future. You know, what is the next twenty to twenty-five years of my life going to be like? So, are there any kind of basic steps that those surgeons can do to protect and grow their money, or things that they should look out for?
1: Yeah, that's a really fun time in in a career when you're, you know, when you're you're not studying and grinding when your business has some momentum of its own. And you feel own. comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're paying all your bills. Your crochet, you know, without worrying about things. You know, that's a that's a big chunk of our lives. Worrying about how are we going to pay for these things. You know, you buy a practice. Well, now you got to pay for the practice. You gotta pay for the lease and you know, all of these different things, right? There's a lot of worrying about can I pay for this? And when we hit that, you know, that that I guess maybe that the part of the yes curve before before we take off again, it's a really exciting, exciting time. And, you know, I think it's a I think it's a time where it's very important to slow down and redo your plan. Your plan was all about survival for like maybe decades. Canada is an expensive place to live, school is expensive, buying that house is expensive, having those kids, holy jeez, they are expensive, (laughs) mat leaves, you know, all of these different things, like we go from, from just trying to survive, right, and it's a really good opportunity to take a pause and get a plan. You are probably not investing as much as you could or should that is probably a fact, right? I mean, if you've just been surviving and been trying to pay your bills, even for those who start early with their investment plan, it's time to bump it up. It's always time to bump it
4: up. That's always the answer.
1: <laughs> Doesn't matter what stage you're at. It's yeah, always yeah, invest yeah. more, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's a really really important time. The other thing with with that phase is looking at insurance, life insurance, all of them. They really, the price, the monthly premium is based on your health, your gender, your age. And some of them, like critical illness, are also based on your parents' age and health. Oh, So we don't just want to buy when we are young and healthy. Yeah. We want to buy when they are young and healthy.
0: Oh, um, wow. I didn't know that. Insurance know that company
1: yeah. doesn't want to give you, you know, a policy for cancer. If you've had a parent pass away early. huh? for cancer especially Makes if sense. it's a hereditary cancer. Yeah,
4: yeah. yeah. Right. So Definitely.
1: that's, you know, of course we want we always want to buy insurance as early as possible. But when you have to make the choice on whether or not you're going to pay your staff or pay your insurance, pay your groceries or pay your insurance, you always choose the, the first one, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So
1: it's a if really good time. If I figure out how the
0: payroll works, I'll stop paying insurance and start paying <laughs> the staff. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, so at that phase, you know, there's a million ways to get to the final destination of, you know, your idea of wealth you put a hundred wealthy people in a room and you will find near a hundred different routes to to reach that, you know, that destination. So at that phase, it's not do this one thing or do that one thing. They can both get you there. It's slow down and have a plan. Make sure you're investing what you need to make sure that you have the right types of debt, the right tax strategies and the right insurance.
0: Oh, that makes a lot of sense.
2: Yeah. 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 And so, and so speaking about planning, and kind of day-to-day things where you're, like we said, trying to survive at first. What is the difference between budgeting and tracking?
1: Yeah. So budgeting is a plan. It's looking forward. Tracking is looking backwards. Budgeting is creating, you know, I I teach a a lot of all ages. I do like high school workshops and young adult workshops, adult workshops. And people always think that budgeting is something that you only do if you're broke. And (laughs) i remind them that the super bowl has a budget has it has nothing to do with how many zeros are on the numbers
4: yeah. it's Can just remind a my plan. wife that <laughs>
1: <laughs> absolutely yeah. she, she can come hang out with me in the pretty money club <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
4: sure.
1: yeah so budgeting is creating a plan to reach your goal your goal might be just to not go into any more debt or your goal might be you know that next level where we're really looking at accumulating wealth tracking is looking backwards to see whether or not we're doing the things that we need to do so when it comes to a budget that might be you know, more daily, weekly, monthly basis, whatever schedule suits you more often is better, but some people more often is too overwhelming and then they just won't do it anyways. So you got to find the schedule that works for you. And with your retirement investments and financial planning, you know, that might be quarterly. That might be, you know, every six months, once a year. And that would be a conversation that you would have with whoever, whatever professional you're working with. On how often are we going to track this? Who's responsible for that? And that'll help you to readjust, right? Things don't always go according to plan.
0: Another thing that I find really difficult is, as you said, at the beginning, you're in survival mode. So Oscar and I are both new grads. You know, we're within five years of graduation. We're in survival mode. We're just trying to, you know, pay the mortgage that we have now, plan for family, pay the bills, just kind of keep on track of things. And you're just, you know, paying off debt. So you're in a survival mode, but we do know, you know, from studies and from all the math that the more you save earlier on, the more future wealth you'll have later on, whether it's, you know, when you're middle-aged or especially when you're retired, like it's like exponentially better for every dollar you save now versus even five years from now. Like the difference is, is really, really significant. So do you have any advice or maybe can you highlight how important it is to save on early on? and how do you actually figure out when you can start saving safely? Because when you're in that day-to-day survival mode, and as you said, budgeting tracking, there is a little bit of fear about saving money or putting it away in a long-term thing. Because you're always worried, what can if I, I afford? Yeah, can yeah. I afford to just not need this money right now for a long time? It's a little bit. It's a little bit intimidating. So, yeah. what advice would you have regarding that?
1: Can I afford? to save or invest is a really common question. You know, for lots of people under 50, right? We haven't hit that stride yet in a lot of cases, right? And it's why I think budgeting is just so powerful. Let's tell our money what route we want it to take rather than always just being reactive. Investing or saving something is always better than nothing. It's a muscle that can grow. So you know, pick up the five pound weight now. You'll get the ten pound a couple of weeks from now, and you'll go from there. And uh, so, starting small, starting often is is really really important. I also think that with a with a budget, we have to make sure that our debts and our some fun money, some spending money, are important. Yeah, we want to make sure we have insurance if we get sick or die. Yes, we want to make sure we have big accounts for if we make it past 65. But what about now? Because my kids are young now. And I want to make my memories now. <laughs> so that is important. We don't have to worry
0: about that bro. Oscar and I are constantly <laughs> made fun of it. We 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 probably spend a little too much in the now. We don't worry about the later. I'm not, I'm not saying we're buying, you know, fancy cars and that. But we constantly get made fun of because experiences we yeah. love experiences just like you said we want to travel we want to do vacation we want to do conferences and we get made fun of all the time for that but it's kind of what you said which is we want to make the memories now because you don't you don't know what's gonna happen
1: yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and My- like anything it's a balance yeah. right and so without a financial plan, you don't know what the future could or should look like without a budget and tracking we don't know what the now looks like it's really hard to to know which one should how much money should go to each side so you know with my clients we'll put a budget together and we'll say okay we're going to save a thousand dollars what does that look like in the future or we're going to put a thousand dollars on our debt how quickly does that get us out of debt okay well now scenario b what if it was five hundred dollars What if it was Mm
4: $2,000?
1: Like, let's do some quick math and then make a choice.
2: And let's see where this takes Mm -hmm. us, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah. because that can be a fun experience, too, of checking your account and seeing it go up. And you know buying investments with your kids can be an experience. There's lots there for sure, but yeah, can i can I afford to do this, and how do I afford to do this? I think it just always comes down to the budget. We can see where maybe we need to cut back on some spending for some people, they're so worried about their debts that they're not spending anything outside of their debts. And quite honestly, I mean, Picking up, you know, some other ways of making additional income, whether or not that's doing, you know, more work or there's a million different ways out there, depending on what people's schedules. And that's not necessarily, you know, just one person in that whole household. That could be the spouse, even if they're at home with the kids, if they brought home even 400 bucks a month, walking some dogs. I mean, I'm talking like real basic stuff. That four hundred dollars a month can be a nice vacation once a year. That type of stuff. So just sitting down and having a budget to, or creating a budget to find out what can we afford right now, because it's hard to say which piece is is more important. I mean, they're just all important, and we just want to make sure we have, you know, something to go into each of those pots. I think
0: one segment we always do on our show is called Resident Reminder. And normally it would be, we would take an oral surgery topic and explain it, you know, on a basic level to a junior resident or a senior resident or something like that. But what we love to do with our guests is kind of incorporate it with the guest, And it actually works out really well with you because, you know, we have a lot of trainees, residents listening. This
2: is way more and, valuable for them.
0: Yeah. Like they're at the beginning. <laughs> so they haven't made the bad habits yet. They haven't made all the mistakes. Like they're fresh, they're willing to learn and they, and they want to know what to do. So starting off this segment, what advice would you give to residents regarding their financial status when they graduate? So what are some common mistakes to avoid? And just to give you kind of a sense for how our residency works, you know, you go to you do undergrad, then you do dental school and dental school is usually extremely expensive. It can be anywhere from 40,000 to 100,000 for some people uh, in the States a year, a year yeah, and then a year. And it's four years long. So people can be anywhere from 250 to 500,000 dollars in debt once they graduate that. Then they start a residency program, which can be four or six years, and that'll pay usually around between forty to sixty to seventy thousand dollars a year, kind of slowly going up each year, similar to medical residency. So then maybe they've been using that for their, you know, apartment, their rent, their daily living, their expenses, and maybe if they're lucky, they've been like clawing away a little bit of the debt. But, but it's not lucky. most of the time, they probably have not. Yeah, yeah. And then they graduate and. Fortunately, as an oral surgeon, even if you graduate and you're working for someone else or you're not as busy at first, you should start making a comfortable salary like instantly compared to your residency salary. So what mindset should they be in from a graduation point of view? And what are some common mistakes that they should avoid?
4: Mm -hmm.
1: I would say the biggest mistake that I see being made is waiting for the paycheck before creating the plan. A plan does not require a paycheck. doesn't matter how much money you are making, you can make your plan for when that paycheck does arrive. So knowing when my income is, you know, fill in the blank, this is how I'm going to spend. And I'm all for even saying that that includes a new car. I'm not, you know, you don't have to scrimp and save on everything and put it all away. There's a way to, you know, have your cake and eat it too. And, but I would say that the biggest mistake is people think I need to have the income before I can create a budget. And we all know, I mean, you start the job and your your spending automatically goes up because that's just how it goes. You're busy. You might have, you know, maybe not more stress, but new stresses. And then you sometimes people, they're not thinking about this stuff again until they're, you know, well into their 40s and 50s. So yeah, have a plan now and if you can't start if you can't take action on it right away don't worry at all about that just get get the plan and it's a lot you know it's a lot of debt obviously and we know that those small payments depending on on how the debt is structured might just be chipping away at the interest. And so looking for alternatives, you know, something that's really popular in Canada, again, back to real estate, because it just seems like all the investing (laughs) conversations go there, is, you know, people are buying a house with, schoolmates or with family members. They're living in the basement and renting out the the upstairs while they're going to school. Things, you know, getting creative and looking at, okay, I know I don't have everything right now, but what can I do with what I do have? You know, how can I keep my costs down? If you are in a phase of life where you don't have kids, you know, that is the Make hay when the sun shines, you know, just do anything you can to make yeah. that money. Cause all of a sudden, you know, you end up in a phase of life where you're rolling wow, out of bed expensive. and you haven't Yeah. <laughs> but you're rolling out of bed, you haven't even slept yet and you gotta go back to work. Cause yeah. you know, that darn cute little baby kept you up all night. <laughs> <laughs> so it's definitely this is a,
0: too close to home. I have a baby coming next month.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So sleep now and make as much money as you yeah, can. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's
2: That's like, definitely. I'm done with the podcast for the night. He's See you guys later. (laughs) I got to go to my moonlighting job now after this. (laughs) That's right. Speaking of debt, so how should residents prioritize paying back debt because that we all incur and avoiding potentially new debt or taking on other debts? Like you said, a mortgage or something like that. That's a, a tough question, I feel.
4: Yeah.
1: And so when we're talking about tuitions, like you guys have to pay, I mean, you can't avoid the debt unless you were you know, born into a a wealthy family. But most Canadians, most people are not in that situation. And so yeah, it's a it's a big chunk of debt. So like I was saying before, you know, make make hay when the sun shines. And also don't incur any more debt until you have to. New cars, and I know that's probably I would imagine, I know that Lots of lots of professions that have long schooling and then, you know, comfortable salaries afterwards. A new car, it, that's a big thing. There's a lot of really cool looking Beamers out there that are five or ten years old that you can get for ten
4: years. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> are you going to be the star in the parking lot? No. But the bank account is is equally or more important than what you don't own in that parking lot. Right? That's one good thing about
0: Oscar and I. No one ever accuses of that because we're both A to B people in the car we just want Perfect. I mean we don't we don't drive like a beat-up car but we want to just drive we're both not like yeah, super like, super car I guys the
2: nicest car in the driveway and I'm like okay it gets me to work yeah and totally. me and my wife like we our driveway is small so it's only a one like so we just jockey cars whichever car is the first one that's the one that's going out who's leaving
1: yeah yeah that you know cars are they're such a pit, you know and, and especially when we're financing them and it's not just the the cost going out the door it's it's the habit when your lease runs up
2: you're gonna do get it again. A new lease. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Just as the new car smell wears off, yeah, is when your payments have stopped and you're itching for a new one. <laughs> um, so and you might upgrade
0: so, again each time. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So cars are a huge, a huge one for me to not start that habit when you're, when your income comes in. And, and then, I mean, obviously you just got to pay off the debt in whatever fashion that, you know, your debt allows, right? Depending on how you have financed your, your education. Another thing that really, really makes a big difference with debt and it sounds so trivial. This is back to our very first, you know, couple sentences on the, the day to day stuff makes, makes an impact we go into a lot of debt over food people don't realize it but i don't I'm know about ter- you. I'm
2: terrible oh my gosh so bad. who
1: who pays for skip the dishes with cash apps don't like cash it doesn't work that way <laughs> you use a credit card and it's the little bits the little bits you know a couple hundred dollars a month and eating out or just poorly planned grocery shops if you go to the grocery shop the grocery shop, the grocery store three times a week, you're probably going to spend at least an extra hundred dollars a week.
2: Yeah. And you're just going to be strolling down the aisles. Yeah. A hundred percent.
1: Absolutely. And so we don't realize that like that's money that could have gone onto our student loan. That's money that could have gone into our vacation account or our Mm -hmm. investment account or our, you know, I want to buy a business account. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So Paying off the debt is as, you know, as fast as possible. But like we were saying before, it's not, you know, there isn't one area that is ultimately more important than another. You know, getting out of debt is important. Having your insurance is important. Saving for your future is important. And enjoying your life while you are here is also important. So creating a plan for your debt. Know when you're going to be paid off and stick to it.
0: You kind of touched on this briefly, but we always hear that there's good debt, bad debt. What are people talking about when they say that? And is this sometimes a misnomer where you can get maybe caught up by saying, "Oh, this is good debt," so I'll just get more and more and more good debt. You know, how, and then how would you elaborate on that? Yeah, because yeah. I, I do find that like, mm-hmm. I can understand conceptually, you know, what good debt, what bad debt would be, but then I do find it's kind of a slippery slope because as soon as you think, you know, there's good debt, maybe you can just have as much of that as you want, and the, you know, the other kind of analogy I always think of is, you know how they always talk about like this good fat and bad fat? Like, I don't know, avocados are supposed to be good fat, but you can't just eat avocados that's every right. day. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> bad things are still going to happen. Yeah, like there's right? a limit so, to how many avocados are going to have. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah,
1: you're not going to feel so hot after that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so how does that work for debt?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, the the quick definition of, of good debt and bad debt, right? Good debt is something that's going to pay you in some form or fashion. So either through an income, Like when you buy a business, it is paying us and or it is the the value of what you purchased with your debt is going up over time, like a business or real estate. You could also argue that student loan debt, if you are working in a profession that you went to school for and that profession is going to pay you more over time, you could argue that student loan could be in that category. I mean, if you've gone to get, you know, some generic education and then you're not using it, maybe we'd consider that bad debt. A bad debt is something that the, the value of the asset that you've purchased is declining. Or there wasn't even an asset to begin with. It's, you know, just kind of gone through your fingers or out the window. So can you have too much good debt? I think so. If you are acquiring a debt in order to buy an asset Without understanding, without a plan, without some advice from a professional, whether or not that asset is a good thing for you. How are we going to use this asset later? How are we going to get rid of that asset later? All of those things. So I think that you know you could you could say that you can have too much good debt, you know, and and the way that interest rates, you know, right now are going up and real estate is going down. Even good debts aren't feeling so hot in Canada right now as people's mortgages have gone up. You know, a lot of my clients, like $500 or $1,000 increase just in the last two months. And we have another, I can't remember the date for the next interest rate increase, but it's right around the corner. We're getting another increase very, very shortly here. But that's a good debt because it's it's you know an accumulating asset.
0: Just may not feel like it right now.
1: It yeah, it no. certainly does not feel yeah. like it right now.
4: Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. We wanted to give you kind of a, a shout out as we as we get towards the end of the episode, you know. Oscar and I, we we've always wanted to have more female guests. We've had females before, but you're like our first like featured guest. And one thing we've noticed cool. is that in kind of both our professions, I would say. You know, in surgery, it's very male-dominated. I find the finance world or people that are interested in finances also tends to be very male-dominated. Sure, maybe yes. the husbands take care of it. I know in my personal family, my wife does all the, as you said, budgeting, tracking, maybe day-to-day stuff, bills, and kind of keeping track of that. Whereas I am pretty much responsible for all the long-term things. And the company and the business and the, and the loans and the investment strategy, stuff like that. And she has no interest in that side. Like I've tried, you know, you, as you said, there's websites, there's intro things, there's podcasts. I've tried to kind of make her interested, but she's really not. And I've seen that in a in a lot of other people. So I'm kind of interested for you. How do you feel about, you know, male versus female financial literacy and is there anything that we can do to address it do we have to address it like what would be your recommendation there for us being in you know relatively new marriages Oscar before she answers I would ask you kind of how it works in in your house as far as finances or decision making how does it go in your house (laughs) <laughs>
2: so my wife is awesome I'll start myself. oh that, that was a nice little <laughs> prequel there by the way did I have to clarify that my wife is awesome yeah. too like I didn't say that but yeah. dude, I'm happily dude, wait, wait, wait
0: one second I'm happily married I love my yeah. son yeah. I'm yeah. happy we're having another baby she's a great wife like do anything else need
2: to say Oscar <laughs> like, saying, yeah, like, uh, I'll start with good that. tip Oscar <laughs> I will start never with hurts. that yeah, we are happily married no she, she is awesome but I would say not the best financial person in terms of seeing things long term. She really, really sees things short term. She's not an overspender or anything like that, but she sees short term and kind of wants, well, this is what we can do, but doesn't think, I think in my opinion, far enough down the road. It's not to knock her family at all, but I I think her family's kind of like that as well too. And I come from a very different family. We come from a very save, save, save type family. My parents were both immigrants. So we have very different perspectives on finance. And so I would say I control or don't control is not the right word because we like we've managed yeah yeah exactly because we have access to each other everything is is open but I would manage pretty much everything in that yes yeah
1: yeah I mean in terms of financial literacy and you know the household roles there's been a dramatic shift in the last generation that most households these days seem to have women managing the finances. Yeah, a really, really dramatic shift. When I see that it is not following that trend, it is often because the husband, I mean, obviously it's 2022. We're talking pretty stereotypical, you know, picket fence families here. That's not to discredit any other type of household, but in those stereotypical white picket fence kind of households, those who are not following the the female management is often, if the husband has a, has a highly skilled or highly technical type job or they are in an industry that they are around other dominant male personalities. If you are, yeah, if you're, I mean, you guys are in an industry yeah. that is we
2: are, male yeah, we dominant. It's like, like, yeah. like I'm <laughs> yes. like, wow, that's that's pretty funny. Yeah. You go yeah. to a
1: conference, you're at a golf tournament, you're in the surgery room, yeah, it's yeah. all you know, older men, more men of different ages talking about stuff. And so We tend to follow those who, you know, mimic who we spend the most time with. For couples who have, you know, more of the the managerial or middle management or hospitality, maybe, or like, you know, many of the other professions out there or jobs out there, it is the women focused on it. Regardless of who's, who's focused on it. What I have found in this last shift of technology and shift in financial products is that the men stereotypically are just not as good at it. I mean, how many passwords, cards, pin numbers, and apps do you have? And stereotypically men are kind of laser focused. You know, it used to be grandpa taking his chicken to trade with somebody to, you know, and had one banker and handed him his well, one check and there was yeah. one investment option. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. now there's like, there's just so many moving parts and pieces nice. that. Women are just
2: That's hilarious really to say that. good at. My that. wife knows all my passwords. I'm like Lex. What's the password for this thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is hilarious. Right. And so I'll ask. What is the name of you of the the podcast you were talking about, or the little female group you have? The pink. The Pretty Money Club. Pretty Money Club. I'm gonna make yeah. a list like that. That sounds yeah. amazing. That sounds it's fun. so awesome. Yeah, Very it's exciting. fun. Yeah. And, and so now, speaking of things that we like and don't like, finally, what are the things that you enjoy the most and least about your job?
4: Oh,
1: good one. So one of the things that I enjoy the least is the the male-dominated fashion of my industry. I stopped attending industry events because I was sick and tired of being, you know, put in in a corner by a pot-bellied white man telling me that how I was doing things was no good. That this would never work. You know, having a Facebook group to talk about money and, you know, I mean you know, putting some, some neon colors and my logos and all of those, there's no way that this can work You're Right. So that's one thing that I don't like. One thing that I do like is that the small things make a big difference and nobody else talks about the small things and being an expert at something is kind of fun. And so people come to me to talk about the small things all the time. And I love, you know, having a brainstorm with a couple about how can we how can we make an extra thousand bucks a month? And not because making more money is that important, it's what the money can get us one day and having those conversations. And you know, how can we put some strategies in place that both of us can stay on track with? And one, you know, little tip on that, we didn't get to this at all in our in our chat today, but almost every problem in my world is solved by a new bank account, even if you don't put money in it a new bank account. You want to go on vacation? Open a vacation account. You want a new car? Open a new car account. And if you are a business o- owner, read Profit First. Profit First, the his name is eluding me right now. Anyways, it doesn't matter the the author of Profit First. I when I read the book, I just lit up. He has the exact same philosophy that most problems are solved by opening a new bank account. <laughs> oh,
4: wow. okay. You want
1: to pay off your debt and you don't yeah. know if you can afford to yet. Open a bank account that says pay off debt, start yeah. squirreling some money away in there it's like a and then do a lump sum.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: You that's, see it every time you log idea. in, open a new account.
2: Yeah.
0: I like yeah. that. I really like that. Well, you know, we, we want to thank you so much for for taking the time out of your busy schedule to, to come on and, educate us you know this is amazing it's, that is it's the word financial yes it's free My financial pleasure. advice for everyone and and we love educating people but I think you've educated everyone on 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 really a, a handful of really really great information great topics can you give a bit of a plug for moolah financial I mean sure you, you took out so much time we might as <laughs> well give you give you the spotlight a little bit maybe yeah. tell everyone a little bit about
1: um, how they can reach
0: out to you or how your business model works and if anyone's interested like what should they know
1: yeah, so Mula Financial, we are we work with Canadians coast to coast. We are very tech heavy, meaning everything is over Zoom or email or phone. We don't need in-person meetings. We take digital signatures on everything. We use most often a, a low-cost ETF portfolio strategy. We have some fee only options as well as some hybrid kind of commission based options and you know we really believe in working with our clients to whatever level of understanding they're interested in and uh, and one of the most important parts of that understanding is the transparency around fees so you can find out about us at yourmula.com, and Mula is spelled m-o-o-l-a and i just said com that's a different website it's ca for that <laughs> and and especially for for those in canada if you are if you're social media fans, then Black is the New Red is my Facebook group that is a conversation about money for Canadians. And it's a heck of a lot of fun and some good drip, drip and community style learning.
0: Nice. Awesome. That's awesome. That sounds really good. And, and Oscar is going to send his wife to your Pretty Money Club.
1: PrettyMoneyClub.com. So, com. You can,
0: so if, if you notice someone posting about their husband that controls all the finances yeah, yeah. and <laughs> only wants to think long term, I guess you know who it is. I literally just looked it up and sent her the link. <laughs>
2: I'll
1: wait for her. Yeah. Well,
0: I'm writing down like profit first for business owners. I need to read this book. <laughs> yeah, now. It's right. a good one.
1: It's, it's a must read.
0: Well, thanks so much, Lindsay. Really appreciate it. And it was great meeting you and chatting with you.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And it was an honor to be the first female featured guest. Thank you so much. Thanks for making it be me. (laughs)
0: All right. Bye. Bye. Well, Oscar, I thought that that was a really good guest segment and we learned a lot, not only for kind of lifestyle planning and financial planning, but I just find it's great to get other people's perspectives on things that we are not an expert about, like things that we don't know everything about.
2: Yeah, I think you took the words of my mouth. Like, I sometimes I almost get more interested in the things we have no idea about because we are mm-hmm. so naive to them. So when I hear them speak and you hear their intelligence come through on something that we don't know anything, I'm like, oh
0: wow, this is good. We need to know more about this. Yeah. And, you know, we talked a little about this in the in the interview, but we're specialists, we're ex- experts in a certain thing. We want to sub-specialize. We want to get really, really yeah. good at a subset of things. So I really resonate and really like other people that have spent a lot yes. of time getting really good at like a small thing. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, they're going to be good at that small thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I that was really cool. And thanks to Lindsay for taking the time. And I hope our listeners really, really enjoy that. And please reach out to us. Let us know, like, do you enjoy these non-surgery related episodes? Are there other topics that you can think of that you want us to talk about? I think it's important to sprinkle the- these kind of topics throughout time. So it would be really good to hear from people what they want to hear. So Teeth and Titanium OMFS at gmail.com. And without further ado, we can jump into our journal segment. So welcome to Journal Club. This month, we had a really nice article, I thought. I'm interested to hear what you think, Oscar, but it's from Jameis in October, and it's called Most Facial Fractures Do Not Require Surgical Intervention. Mm-hmm. First of all, love the title. Yeah, pre-screening. I mean, I just love that it tells you what the whole article yeah, like, gonna like, right the is going to say right the title. This is what it is. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. It's by Spinella et al, and basically, it's a group of residents and professors out of San Antonio, yeah, at uh, University of Texas Health Science Center. The supervising author is Ed Ellis, who's like obviously pretty a famous, heavy hitter, like author right there. Yeah, heavy hitter, a very famous trauma surgeon. So definitely passes our pre-screening. We really like that. Jumping to the article, they said the purpose of the study is to estimate the risk of surgical intervention for facial fractures and to identify the variables associated with surgical intervention. So I like the purpose. I like what they're trying to yeah. look into. It's interesting. It's interesting. And it's something we all have to deal yeah. with, broad broad appeal. Yeah. Their hypothesis was that the vast majority of facial fractures that presented to our institution did not need surgical intervention. So before you read the article, Oscar, is that a hypothesis you would have agreed with or disagreed with or, or didn't know, weren't sure about it? so it's funny. I thought about this quite a bit and,
2: and I don't think that would have been necessarily my, my hypothesis. And maybe cause you get resident tunnel vision where you want to operate on everything and you want to open every fracture. So maybe that's why I was still thinking that, but that's not probably what my hypothesis would have been. I would have been like, Oh, maybe it's 50, 50, but not that the vast majority doesn't require surgical intervention.
0: I agree. I would have thought more were operable, and then when we we're going to start getting the numbers, I was kind of shocked at first, but then you kind of start to understand why. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's why it's very important in these articles to look into the details and try and figure out what exactly they're saying and what they're showing. So this was a retrospective cross-sectional study. In the results section, in a five-year period, three thousand four hundred sixteen patients were diagnosed with a facial fracture. So I thought that was wild, but I think one thing I always recommend to people is that whenever you hear a number or think of a number, you need to put it in context. It's something you understand. Like, it can't just be, that sounds like a big number. So I tried to break it down. It's that's, 683 I, per year. It's, it's, it's 13 hilarious. 13
2: a week. It, it's it's honestly, it's actually hilarious that we did the exact same thing pretty much. Did you do that too? Yeah, because I'm like, okay, that's roughly 700 per year. And I did it just, <laughs> just crude math, right? Because yeah. I'm, I'm like, let's get there fast. And I'm like, that's 700 a year, which is roughly two a day.
0: Wow, I like the way you did right? it. That's pretty cool, yeah. Like,
2: I'm like, holy cow, that's a lot of yeah. trauma
0: coming in. It's Yeah, it's funny. I, It's funny how we had the same mindset, different approach. Yeah. I did the calculator way and I got to 13 a week, which is pretty much uh, two yeah. a day. Yeah. Like, it's awesome. Yeah, And that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> So shout I out mean, to that program. Yeah, yeah, because we both feel like we had a good trauma mm-hmm. uh, education. Experience. You know, McGill was a level one trauma center and fellowship at the, you know, trauma call at mm-hmm. multiple hospitals. Definitely weren't doing two a day <laughs> no. or getting two consults a day. Yeah. So yeah, huge, huge shout out to that. So then break down the numbers. They had 2,302 isolated mid-face fractures, so 74%. Mm-hmm. 324 mandible fractures, so 10%. 57 isolated upper face, so that was 2% and 443 cases that were a combination of two or more types, that was 14%. Mm -hmm. So right away, I I was like, this is not making sense to me because how are they getting so much mid-face, way more than mandible, Mm -hmm. and also why are there not a lot of combination fractures? I found that kind of confusing, but basically what it comes down to is, they said 51% of the isolated mid-face fractures were nasal bone fractures. Yeah. So they're just getting a yeah. ton of nasal bone fractures, which as soon as they read that, it kind of opened my mind. I said, oh, okay. That, in kinda, that makes a lot more sense. Now, granted, even then, like we're not getting yeah. that yeah, no. amount of midface. Yeah. I do find at Toronto, the majority would be mandible I fractures. I would say it's completely skewed the other way to mandibles for sure. Yeah, mandible yeah. fractures, especially because you're getting a lot from dentists and oral surgeons in the community. Mm-hmm. And then you'll have some midface, but I definitely think mandibles is what, Predominates and our numbers like every single weekend I've been on call or week I've been on call so far downtown with the residents, we've done at least like two or three manual fractures. Yeah. It's been and insane. you love subcondylers. Oh, it's two, it's non stop <laughs> subcondylers. Yeah, that's just nothing subcondylers. Yeah, I had for. a bottle of subcondylar consult come in both Saturday and Sunday this past weekend. Yeah, yeah, like it's crazy how many of them are coming in. So, yeah, so those numbers, I was like, okay, that's why that kind of makes sense now. Of the over 3,000 patients, the vast majority did not require any surgery. So 81% did not need surgery. 19% needed surgery. And then within, you know, these categories, for the midface fractures, only 9% needed surgery. But that kind of makes sense when you think about nasal Nasal bone fractures now. Most of them are non-operative. Of the mandible fractures, 71% needed surgical intervention. I thought that was really low because I'm trying to figure out, like, what mandible fractures are they getting where 30% of them you don't need to operate? Yeah,
2: yeah. That that actually, like, now that I, I guess I didn't think about it that detail, I'm like, oh, okay. Because I, I more compared it to that one. I'm like, so seventy is high, or like, oh, that makes mm-hmm. more sense to me. But yeah, if you look at it in, I in just isolated just mandibles. Yeah, that is that is pretty low.
0: The only thing I can think of is like, if it's a non-displaced fracture and they're just doing a liquid diet, or if there's like a high high subcondylar, their occlusion's okay. Maybe I missed it.
2: Maybe I missed it. Are they ca- are they classifying like wiring a patient shut as surgical or not?
0: Yeah, that's a surgical intervention. Yeah. So then I don't, I don't really know how the, where does the 30% go? That's a lot of liquid diets. I know that was something I was really, really surprised about. So I I thought their mandible fracture operation was pretty low. Yeah. Now of the upper face fractures, only 5% needed surgical intervention. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And if there was a combination of two or more types, only 35% of cases needed intervention. So once again, I'm thinking this is super low. Now, one thing that does kind of explain a lot, when it comes to these numbers and mid-face numbers and why so many didn't need intervention, including the combination ones, is if they had like a sinus wall fracture that's counting as a mid-face yes. fr- I mean, it's a mid-face fracture, right? But it's yeah. not operative. So that's going to inflate the numbers a lot and really, really decrease mm-hmm. your kind of your operative intervention rate. But it's still a fracture, so they still got to count it, for sure. Exactly. So what did you feel about this distribution compared to your experience? I and mean, we touched on it a little bit, but do you find that this is kind of what you like saw as a resident when you got a console, like your rate of operation, did it kind of correlate with the numbers they were saying? So I will say you kind of touch it because now you're actually staff at U of uh, like on my program. So you kind of see what, what I
2: saw as a resident in the sense that we for sure saw a lot more mandible fractures. We didn't see nearly as much in, in the, dis- like the way they haven't distributed it. We were very different. We were much more heavily mandible than mid phase. I will say we were much if we were going to say which one would you less likely operate, I would say yes, midface, because you're going to get that sinus wall fracture where you're not going to do anything for it. But mandible, I would say we oper- we operated more than the 70% ratio that they're operating at, if we saw a mandible mm-hmm. fracture. We definitely had more mandibles than they had, and in the ones we had, we operated more, it sounds like, than they did, and we definitely had less midfaces than they did.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I would share a a similar kind of experience so far downtown. Yeah. So in their discussion, you know, they do kind of mention why non-surgical management was done for the most part. And Mm -hmm. they said it was non-displaced or minimally displaced fractures, asymptomatic facial fractures, or medically unfit patients. But the problem is they're kind of lumping everything together.
2: Yeah.
0: They're not really breaking it down, breaking it down. They do talk about their mandible fracture operation rate was similar to a level one uh, trauma center in Australia over a three year period because theirs was around 80%. Mm-hmm.
4: I'll
0: be honest with you, they don't really specifically mention whether closed reduction is considered non surgical or surgical. That's what
2: I'm saying. I didn't, I, I also asked me if I missed it. I didn't see that there because that would change yeah. if you're classifying it as surgical. And if you're For not sure. classifying it, then it does change it.
0: Yeah, because if they think, close reduction is non-surgical then their numbers make a lot more yeah. sense to me they would say that would be bang on with ours pretty much but i would argue that's a surgery yeah like, you,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, again i don't you could argue either way like because they they can define surgical intervention however they want to define a surgical intervention right yeah but if they I, haven't i, I would have hmm. put it as technically a surgical intervention as well
0: but yeah i think that would be one of the limitations i would see is that they don't really describe what that would fall into because I think that is the first question we're asking and it would kind of help give context to some of these numbers mm-hmm. they do say 81 percent of patients presenting with at least one facial fracture did not receive any treatment like that's in general which is pretty wild if you think yeah. about it like you could have a facial fracture and 80 percent of the time you You're don't need walk treatment <laughs> yeah <laughs> but once again that's a lot of that's mid face, nasal bone yeah. or sinus wall fractures so maybe that skews it a little bit they did also mention particularly, and I like this, They said it's important to note that a large number of mid-phase fractures include our population, included isolated nasal bone, maxillary sinus wall fractures, or maxillary alveolar fractures. These represent a large number of mid-phase fractures for which no surgical intervention was ultimately rendered. Mm-hmm. So they're clear it on is that. good that they're kind of clarifying that. Yep. So their overall statement is, although the diagnosis of facial fractures is becoming more frequent, likely due to the increased use of CT scans, the number of surgical interventions required for these fractures appears to have remained stable. In a retrospective review, approximately 81% of patients presenting with a facial fracture to a level one trauma center over a five-year period did not require surgical intervention. So kind of a good summarizing statement Mm -hmm. there. And I I really like this paper. I mean, just to kind of jump into what we think, I thought it addressed a good question. I thought they did it in a really nice way. I thought that it was short and quick and to the point. They didn't kind of belabor it. They did compare their study results to other studies to see if it was valid or kind of the same as in the rest of the literature. And I think it does give you interesting stats as far as operation rate and and how often does a patient actually need surgical intervention? I
2: agree with everything you just said. I think they clearly outlined their question, which is something that I think a lot of us are interested in if you're an oral surgeon. The study was concisely done. It's at a significantly heavy trauma center. Yeah, and They gave data that that is like pretty concise and like, okay, it may not have be exactly what I thought the results were going to be. And maybe they could have had a little bit more clarification on like we just said, does a close reduction count as a surgical intervention or not? But overall, I really like the study.
0: Yeah. And if you're a resident in San Antonio or in the States, you know, these, the, these authors, reach out to them and tell them to reach out to us and explain about the numbers like close reduction versus not close reduction and whether or not that counts. Because I think that will really, really affect how we quote this going forward and, mm-hmm. and how we interpret it going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But overall, really nice article. I really enjoyed it. So shout out to them and their group. And with that, we can move into our final segment, recommendations. Okay, Oscar, now for our final segment, recommendations. So before we talk about your recommendation, Oscar, I, I need to, you know, I need to put my hands up. I need to say, you know, I'm guilty. I made a mistake. Oh, Uh, you know, I did something for the first time ever last episode. You'll remember I recommended the show before it's over, before I finished it. So my first question to you is, you know, is House of the Dragon, the Game of Thrones prequel. Now, my first question to you is, are you still waiting to just stream it all at once or are you going to do week by week? Like, what was your decision in the end with Lexi?
2: So I know last time I said, you know what, I'm going to be good. I'm not going to binge it. I'm going to start like I'm going to start and try to watch it week by week and like do it how it used to be done. And then I said, no, I'm not. I'm not going to do this. Uh, I'm going to binge watch it. And then Lex is like, yeah, for sure. Let's binge watch it. But I will say before you get to your thing, a lot of the people in our office have been hyping it up like crazy. And I don't know about you, but over the last two to three weeks, they turned and their opinion has changed a little bit. So I'm actually excited to hear what you're going to say.
0: Isn't it amazing? how common consensus so many times, like, just comes to the oh, same conclusion. Oh no way! So nope. this this was my error. So I I recommended after two episodes that aired. Yeah, I was like, yo, it's like watching Game of Thrones, and even even though I've said Game of Thrones was terrible at the end, I was like, it's still the Game of Thrones universe, it's still dragons, it's still entertaining. Obviously, mm-hmm. no spoilers. Mm-hmm. But I watched two episodes. I made that recommendation. I think the next day after we recorded, I started watching like episode three. Yeah. And like episode three onwards, every episode is like, mmm, I mean, I'm glad I'm watching this just because you kind of have to watch it. Like you feel like it's you're now invested into good. it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's not no, it's not that I'm not invested. It's bad. Okay, so like, this is
2: this is what I've heard from a bunch of our nurses. Like, they're like, they're like, I'm continuing to watch it, but it's just not very
0: good. It's the exact same feeling as the end of Game of Thrones, where you have to watch it, but it's not good. The plot makes no sense. The acting is terrible. Like, nothing makes logical sense. And the other thing I'll tell you is that the difference was Game of Thrones, first of all, the first, like, five seasons were unreal. Yeah. So even though they had maybe two or three seasons bad at the end, you were still knew all the, of the characters. You were so everything, invested. How it worked. In it. You were so invested that you still liked it. Whereas this, it's a new series. It's all new characters. So you don't have that cachet of, like man, this is bad, but I I still want to know what happens to this person. Like I owe them something. You don't owe them anything. You don't owe them anything. The other thing I realized is that Game of Thrones, and you'll remember this for people that haven't seen it or have seen it, season one, you're so confused because you don't know anyone's names. There's like 20 storylines going on. You don't know what's going on. And then from season two onwards, you're like, oh, I know this character. I know the storyline. And you're kind of building, developing. And they'll add new characters along the way. But it's like you were introduced to eight storylines and then when one storyline would die off or be resolved, they'd introduce another one, but you always had a a steady diet of different things going on. So in Game of Thrones, when they'd have a sequence about, you know, the band of brothers or the light of the seven or whatever, you're like, this is so boring, but it's only one eighth of the show. Yeah. Like there's still other things going on. Yeah. You're going to see for House of the Dragon, there's only one storyline. It's just one group of people. And yeah, they might have different scenes, but there's only one storyline. There's only one group of people. So there's no like respite from a boring storyline because it's the only story part of the show. And, you know, so you know, what's
2: really weird though, is that even though I've heard this from, you now and I've heard it from our nurses at our office, I still want to watch it.
0: I would still say you have to watch it. So I just wanted to come out clean and modify yeah. to I'm telling you, and I'm glad actually going to binge it. Cause I think by binging, you won't, you won't suffer from the week to week disappointment. Yes. You're just yeah. going to watch the whole thing. <laughs> okay, Yeah. That might actually be better. You're right. So I'm glad you didn't start it. Okay. So my recommendation update would be still watch it if you watch Game of Thrones. If you haven't watched Game of yeah. Thrones, what are you doing? You're you not don't even wasting time. Okay. Go watch Game of Thrones. But if you watch Game of Thrones, watch this. But I'm no. it's no longer branded as a Wendell stamp of approval. Okay. Like, this is no longer a show that I say is good. It's just a show that I think you have to watch once. Okay. And, and good. Because like again, it's weird
2: to say because now multiple people have said it's not that good. And I still want to watch it. So I don't know what's
0: wrong with me. <laughs> Maybe you're a non-believer. Yeah, yeah. How about you? What's your recommendation for this month?
2: So mine, I hadn't been watching too many things this month, but I I did watch one, and I think some people will like it. And some people will not like it. I'm not even sure if I, I I did like it, but it is a bit disturbing. So my recommendation is the Jeffrey Dahmer documentary. Or, oh, okay. Or Netflix show. And so without like spoiling too much, like I don't know if anyone knows about anything about it. I do think people should watch it if you're at all wheezy or don't like gruesome things, definitely don't watch this because this this is pretty detailed. I think the acting is quite good, especially if you're kind of crazy like my wife, who then started watching other documentaries, you get to hear the actual Jeffrey Dahmer's voice. Like the the actor nails it, like his voice sounds exactly like him. And you're watching it, it is pretty dark. You can't believe someone like this exists and you can't believe- It's like
0: one of those true crime series, right?
2: That's exactly what it is. You just can't believe this guy gets away with how it gets away with. Like you're watching the Mm. show and you're getting mad at the TV. You're like, what? What's like, how is this guy getting away with this? But overall, I did. I don't want to say enjoy it because it is so dark, but I did like
0: watching it. So I thought it was quite good. Okay. Yeah, no, I. Sometimes I watch those series. Sometimes I don't like I watch the. Don't f with cats. One, I don't know if yeah. you saw that one. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That was that was phenomenal. Yeah, that was so good. It was like, so addicting. It was so well done. I loved it. I
2: can't believe people
0: dedicated that much time and were so good with their computer. And I'm like, these people know yeah. more about the city than
2: I know about the city, just by a yeah. little computer. Yeah.
0: yeah. And it was weird when they uh, started showing like Montreal, the street that I would like daycare, which I would drive down that area probably four hundred times That's in my crazy. time in Montreal. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. everyone in Montreal would be like, I recognize that. And then they're at McGill. So I'm like, I'm I like, walked by that place. This is touching closer to home now. Yeah, a lot. Then they go to Etobicoke and he's in the apartment building across from my grandmother's house. Oh, (laughs) and the footage is from a gas station that I've refilled at probably 20 times whenever visiting my grandma. What's going on here? (laughs) Yeah, this is way too close to home. So that was really good. But yeah, some of them I watch, some of them I don't watch. My recommendation was actually going to be for the Untold series. Have you seen that series on Netflix? No, what is that? So I'm happy I haven't seen it because this is like slam dunk Oscar will love this. Okay. Now I'm excited. Like, I got like certain shows it. I know that I recommend Yeah. or books. And I know that I will like it. I know certain listeners will like it and I know you won't like it. And the same yeah. goes for you. Like sometimes you recommend stuff and I'm like, I'm not going to watch that. Sometimes yeah. you're like, yeah, I would watch that. Like Jeffrey Dahmer. Like I'm terrified of people. It, I don't want to watch that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and, me. and then that's what
2: I mean. Like you have to take it with a grain of salt. Like it's not for half, talking back to our office, half the people can't watch it. It's just not for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to know if you're the kind of person that likes that serial killer, true things, then watch it. If at all, you're like, don't. Like, if you're scary and you're at your house by yourself, don't watch this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. So the Untold series is on Netflix. Basically what it is is each episode or production is around an hour, an hour and a half long. And it's a documentary about something in sports. Oh. And they've taken one. I know you're already sold, but let me describe it even more. So they take one thing, but what's amazing is they only do it pretty much if they can interview everyone associated with it. So I'll give you one example. One of them is on this, and they're all like true stories, obviously, yeah. on things that you would have heard of and known from back in the day. I'll give you two examples. One is they do the whole college betting scandal where players on a team were purposely like shaving points, basketball. Yeah, yeah. But they interview the guy who came up with the scheme, the guy who made the bets, they interview the basketball player that cooked the book, like that cooked yeah, the yeah. games, rigged the games, like everyone involved. I'm so And what's nice is it's past, I guess this past the statute of limitations because they're all on it. They're all talking about exactly what they did and what they got caught for and how it worked. Yeah. So that was one example. Another example is it's called Manti Teo, the girlfriend that didn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about the Manti Teo story, but they interview Manti Teo. They interview the fake girlfriend. He just came back to Notre Dame. Yeah. 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 So, okay, it, so it's I'm, like, I'm, I'm definitely going to watch this. Like, this is no question for me. Yeah. So it's kind of funny because none of them are related but they're all in the same kind of theme. So I guess that's why it's like a a series, but you're going to see, you have to look up Untold and there's going to be different ones and you click on one and you watch it. It's not like Untold season one, episode one, two, three, four, five. Like they're all individual things. Oh, okay. So you can pick the ones that you want. Now, obviously look at them and start with the ones that interest you, which is what I did. But I started picking ones that I knew nothing about. And and they're just, oh, they're just as good. I watched one, it's called The Race of the Century. It's Untold, The Race of the Century. And it's basically, about this yacht race called the america's cup america's cup it's a big sailing race it, which i never heard of yeah, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm not like fritz i don't own a yacht i don't do these sailing races <laughs> if there's a sport i've seen it like literally it doesn't matter what you do what you're so name. you'll name make that's because i'm the same way you know me i follow yeah. literally anything that has a score yeah, if it has a record i'm gonna watch it <laughs> this i'd never heard of so they talk about the america's cup and how the us always won it and then they talk about how australia challenged them and how it came down to one race and no spoilers obviously but like It's phenomenal. Like, I don't know anything about sailing. And I was like, this is so good. Yeah, I'm doing this. This is a hard recommend for (laughs) you. Like, you, Oscar, you have to watch all of them. This
2: sounds exactly like me.
0: Yeah, you're going to watch all of them and you're going to love them. I know that for sure. And then for our listeners, if you like sports and you like documentaries, this is a no-brainer. Like, you're really going to like this. Okay, I'm going to second that before I even watch the show. I'm already going to second it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that brings us to the end of episode 26. This was our October edition. Thanks to our loyal listeners for listening. Thanks to our great guests, to our fan mail. Thanks to our producer, Brad. If you want to get in touch with us, teethandtitaniumomfs at gmail.com. We love to receive fan mail and read it on the show. So we hope to hear from you all soon and have a great night. Take care, guys.